This week on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. If ecological function were the basis of money, then all people's work would go to conservation and restoration of ecological systems. And that is the pathway to sustainability for humanity. I'm Neil Harvey. Join us for Working with Nature to Heal Nature, Landscapes of Hope, on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Vis Medicatrix Naturae. This Latin term describes the natural medicine concept of the healing force of nature. It's the observation that our bodies have a profound capability for self-repair, for healing themselves. In this light, the primary role of the doctor or healer is to support the body to cure itself. In the same way, nature has a profound capacity for healing itself, and we can act as healers. Former CBS cameraman John Liu got to observe this dramatically hopeful phenomenon on the ground as he documented unprecedented environmental and societal upheavals seizing China in the early 80s. John Liu saw that the answer was blowing in the wind and in the soil and in the water and the diversity of life. It's called ecological function. Some call them ecological services, and they sustain the symphony of life on which all economies and societies and life itself depend. It had been hiding in plain sight, and it took a cameraman to see it. This is Working with Nature to Heal Nature, Landscapes of Hope, with Chinese-American, Beijing-based filmmaker, ecological restorationist and practical visionary, John Liu. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Working first for CBS News and then with various other broadcasters, including BBC and National Geographic, John Liu was one of the first Western filmmakers to document China. He discovered great beauty there, but the mounting devastation he saw made him realize that for China to be sustainable, it wouldn't be enough to conserve the few remaining pristine ecosystems or even change Chinese energy sources and production methods. It was necessary to actually restore the underlying ecosystems on a very large scale, while also providing livelihoods and robust economies for people and communities. It was time, as political leader Deng Xiaoping directed, to learn truth from facts, to use science as medicine, to formally value Earth's functioning eco-services that we take for granted. These are services that nature provides for free, such as global climatic stability, pollination, water purification, biodiversity, oxygenation, fisheries, or soil fertility, putting a price on the priceless, some say, deep ecology. As a growing global power undergoing massive industrialization, China was already careening into ecological crisis, and the new political leadership was ready to look for new ways of doing business. Liu suddenly found himself in the unique position to use the power of media to increase the ecoliteracy of 1.3 billion of the world's inhabitants. John Liu spoke with us at a recent Bioneers conference. And so... I, together with some other people, created the Environmental Education Media Project for China. And we began to take mainly BBC materials, a lot of British materials, 
to China to show the people what was international thinking about environment. And we distribute now Earth Report and Life, which are on the BBC, and they go on onto CCTV, Central Chinese Television, so it reaches hundreds of millions of people. So from that kind of development trajectory, I began to make films about the environment. And gradually, I started to notice that there was a huge difference between shallow ecology and deep ecology. And it didn't seem to me that shallow ecology was really going to do anything. It was that deep ecology, certainly in terms of understanding the fundamental earth systems, how the air and the water and the natural fertility in the soil and the how the water cycle is regulated or how carbon, for instance, is sequestered into biomass and into soil carbon, soil organic material. This has been something that I see is what we need to know. And these things seem like determinants of survival and sustainability. And this is very different from just collecting plastic bags together or trying to recycle this or that. These are fundamental to life and not simply human life but all life. So I became much more interested in studying these systems. John Liu then had a remarkable opportunity. In 1995, the World Bank sent him to document the birthplace of Chinese civilization, the Lus Plateau. It's an area about the size of France that contains parts of seven different provinces within the upper and middle reaches of the Yellow River watershed in northwest China. Liu was astonished to find a completely degraded ecosystem with virtually no vegetation. Could Chinese civilization have been born in an empty moonscape? By all fossil evidence and literary references and so on, it was a beautiful place with rushing rivers and forests and grasslands and, you know, migratory herds and wild animals, everything. And over historical time, it was destroyed. It was ruined. It's similar to the Middle East or other parts of the world where the development trajectory is one which leads to ecological collapse. First, they cut the trees. Then they tried slope farming. And then the third thing is the last resort. They began to free-range goats and sheep. And the, the goats just ate everything all the way down and pulled out the roots, so they exposed the soils. Now, when you expose soils in that way, the dynamic of water coming down becomes completely different. Without any vegetative cover or organic materials, when the water comes down, it becomes a kinetic force, a destructive kinetic force, instead of a nurturing force. As he filmed the stories of the land and its people, he began to see how thousands of years of agricultural exploitation became inextricably bound together with repeated cycles of poverty and ecological destruction. Because the Yellow River drains such a large and damaged landmass, erosion causes heavy sedimentation, which in turn causes flooding. Originally, the Lus Plateau was flat, but thousands of years of erosion carved deep gullies and canyons stripped of vegetation that caused dust storms to blow clear around the world. 
Over a decade, John Liu focused his camera on China's innovative attempt to reverse this degradation and restore the birthplace of their culture. The first step was to transform the destructive force of water to a healing force. So they had to make physical interventions in order to change the kinetic energy of the water as it flowed away. So they used small dams and sediment traps, gavion dams. There's a thing called check dams. And so what they did was they blocked the flow of the runoff so that more water would infiltrate. And then when they did this, that rapidly became a biophysical intervention because the vegetation started to grow back. They also did something very important. They made an econometric evaluation which said that the ecological function was more valuable than the production. So they were trying to force production out of these very fragile and damaged and degraded systems, and they weren't getting very much. And then they looked at what they were getting, and then they looked at what it would be like if you had ecological function. They said, well, the ecological function is clearly more valuable. Now, if we could extrapolate from that what that means for the whole world, it's, it's hugely important. So by doing this, that meant that they could set aside land. They could say, well, what's the point of trying to exploit these fragile areas for production when the ecosystem function is clearly more valuable? Let's leave them aside for ecological function. And that worked. It worked tremendously. But at first, the local population had to be convinced about the restoration efforts. The impoverished region's people openly scoffed, pointing out that people can't eat trees. To move the restoration plan forward, the government had to pay people to replant the degraded land. It was an econometric decision that restored the landscape and retrained the people to base their livelihoods on a revitalized ecosystem. We have a film called Hope in a Changing Climate. In this, you see a tremendous transition from 1995 to 2009, what was essentially a completely devegetated and totally dysfunctional ecosystem, is brought to a state where it's at least functional. So it has the ability then to infiltrate water during rainfall and then it also has the ability to survive periods of drought because you're maintaining moisture in the biomass and in the soils. So you're respirating. The plants are respirating. You have a completely different relative humidity. If you can build up a canopy, either a grass canopy or a tree canopy, then you have a microclimate below the canopy. So it has completely changed the outcome. And what was a totally brown, actually in this case yellow, they call it the yellow earth, but in this case, it's, it's transformed into a green landscape, and it's green in the ecological land, and it's also green in the agricultural land because they use much more like agroforestry, a mixture of perennial and annual crops rather than simply monocultures of, of annual crops. And this means that you're as each generation of life dies and gives up its body, that that's, again, accumulating organic matter in the system. So 
that is an accumulative development trajectory which goes toward sustainability. So once they start on this trajectory, in 15 years, you have a a beautiful result. But the real result is if you keep that development trajectory going for 50 and 100 years and 200 years and, and forever, you're in line with natural evolutionary trends. That's where human beings need to be. We don't need to be interrupting what nature is trying to do. We need to be in line with that. And if we're in line with that, we're going to survive and we're going to be sustainable. The Chinese econometric plan divided the landscape into two zones, the ecological and the economic land, and it concentrated the areas for human development, leaving large areas of land to provide ecological function. So in, in the Lus Plateau, you actually saw huge increases in productivity and in income by reducing the area in cultivation. So releasing 55 or 60 percent of the land to nature massively increased productivity. The fact is these places degrade because we don't value the functional ecosystems. We value the products and the ability to extract things. And we, we value the products and extraction higher than the functional ecosystems. So if you valued the ecosystem function higher than the production and consumption that we extract from those systems, then it doesn't mean you can't produce anything. Actually, you get higher production because if you collapse those ecosystems, you get nothing. So the functional ecosystems are renewable and accumulative and abundant. But what, what I've started to see is that this relationship by having the wrong values, by valuing the production and consumption higher than the ecological function, we've created a perverse incentive to degrade the system. If everybody believed and understood that ecological function is vastly more valuable than production and consumption, then that would be the basis of money. And if ecological function were the basis of money, then all people's work, instead of going toward production and consumption of goods and services, would go to conservation and restoration of ecological systems. And that is the pathway which leads to sustainability for humanity and the planet. Because in decades and centuries in the future, you can see that every grassland, wetland, forest, coastal region, the oceans, and the atmosphere could be restored because we put the value in the right place. John Liu's films document nature's life-sustaining services, which come from functional ecosystems, these priceless processes from which all economic value is derived and on which all life depends. When we return, going global with lessons from the restoration of China's Lus Plateau. This is Working with Nature to Heal Nature, Landscapes of Hope. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
Bioneer's Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Learn more at johnmasters.com. Free distribution of this program is made possible in part by support from listeners like you. To explore more Bioneers radio shows and conference videos for free, visit bioneers.org. At the invitation of the Global Environment Facility, the World Bank, and Britain's Department for International Development, John Liu took the astonishing story of the rapid restoration of China's Lus Plateau to Africa. Ten years after the 1994 genocide, Rwanda was facing an economic crisis. Hydro stations built to supply rural areas with electricity could no longer generate power. The reason? A familiar pattern of undervaluing and then devaluing the ecosystem. In this case, through poor management of upstream wetlands and degrading the surrounding watersheds. They had been encroaching with their agriculture onto sensitive wetland areas in the highlands, and this was lowering the hydrological function, and then they, they didn't have the retention, and then they lost the hydrology. So the hydrology meant that they were losing electricity and they were spending a lot of money. Liu made compelling visual presentations to Rwandan officials from the president to the parliament, his films were shown on local television. The story of the Lus Plateau resonated in Rwanda. And what the Rwandan government did was rewrite their land use policy laws to reflect the understanding that was coming from the restoration of the Lus Plateau and to invite international agencies and support for nationwide restoration of all degraded lands in Rwanda. They removed the agriculturalists from the sensitive wetland areas and tried to restore that, and they got 85% of the hydrological function back within five years. And this is huge. And then you started to notice that, well, I mean, right now there's a terrible situation in East Africa. So many countries in East Africa are suffering from drought and famine. But Rwanda is not. I mean, Rwanda is special because it's a highland water tower. It's the headwaters of the White Nile and the Congo rivers. It's a very special place. But their actions have been in harmony with accumulation of biomass and accumulation of organic matter. And not only have they prospered ecologically, they have one of the fastest growing economies in East Africa and in the world. So Rwanda is a wonderful thing, and, and this year in uh, New York, they announced the Rwanda Forest and Landscape Restoration Initiative, which is total restoration of the country, and a number of organizations, Global Environment Facility and, and others, have joined in that effort. Rather than accumulating money, accumulate biomass, prosperity will follow. John Liu's work shows the promise that the transformation of even the poorest countries around the globe can occur when they embrace an economy that recognizes and values the functionality of landscapes and works with the healing force of nature to heal nature. Mali has 14 million people in an area almost twice the size of France. And by normal UN human development indicators perspective, they're the, among the poorest people on earth. And yet, 
this area is a very specialized area where the inner Niger Delta floods to six meters every year. But because if they want to have anything from the global economy, they actually need to cut something down and extract something in order to participate in this because we say that money comes from production and consumption of goods and services. So even though they have this huge land, vast amounts of water, the desert is growing. This is ridiculous. So could you turn this around? Absolutely. But you'd have to value the ecosystem function. But if you did value the ecosystem function, this would have an enormous impact in regulating hydrology, weather, and climate regionally in Africa and globally. So this is the kind of potential, I think, that there is. There's also another effort in the Sahel region to stop the desert. So if this can go from the Indian Ocean to the Atlantic, then we have the kind of scale. If we go to the Mediterranean region and to Central Asia and to South America, and we value ecosystem function higher than production and consumption of goods and services, we're going to end poverty for billions of people because they're the stewards of ecosystems. And if we don't force them to destroy their ecosystems so they can participate in production and consumption economy, and we really develop a functional economy, that's, that's the way forward that I see. Today, a global movement is gaining traction to value and quantify the services that come from functional ecosystems. Corporations such as Price Waterhouse and environmental NGOs such as the Nature Conservancy are developing methodologies to value eco-services. In 2011, Dow Chemical pledged $10 million to develop eco-service valuation methods as part of its strategic effort to operationalize sustainability. And the UN and the World Bank are now working with developing countries to help them value their natural capital. Through the practice of a nature-based economy, Liu proposes we can restore not only the landscape, not only its people, but even our precious, life-giving climate. Photosynthesis is a biochemical photoreactive process that absorbs carbon into biomass. It actually takes light and water and minerals and converts these into living matter. We're not going to invent a process that can do this. This is a miracle. And it's evolutionary, and it's, it's what nature wants to do, and it's exactly what we need. And we need to do this at scale. We need to realize that photosynthesis has been lost over vast areas because we've devegetated. And if we revegetate these areas, we're going to get this huge benefit. In his film, Hope in a Changing World, John Liu juxtaposes stunning images of barren hillsides degraded by thousands of years of devegetating agricultural practices with the lush green landscape achieved in just 10 or 15 years of restoration work. Seeing is believing. It's the power of photosynthesis and revegetation. And according to the World Resources Institute, there are another 2 billion hectares of stark desert landscape with the potential to be successfully rehabilitated if people act as healers working with nature and then get out of nature's way. Evolutionary time is different than our short lifespan. But our lifespan totally of hu humanity is just a moment in this 
hundreds of millions, billions of years. And what it's like is if we were standing in front of a train and that train was going to hit us, we'd want to get out of the way. Well, that's what's happening. We're, we've, we've interrupted evolutionary trends and we're standing on the track. And the train's coming to us, but it's at a different period because evolutionary time runs at a different speed. And so we don't really understand what's happening to us because we're running at a different period. But if we think about it, we, we can understand this, and we've got to get out of the way of the train. China has surpassed the U.S. as the leading emitter of global greenhouse gases. It's a country lashed to an industrial development track under intense pressure to lift huge numbers of people out of poverty. Yet now it is also demonstrating a radically new paradigm that could deliver economic prosperity and ecological health. It took a filmmaker to see the game-changing implications of this shift and go on to become a visionary global restorationist. What else might be possible if we respect and restore the true value to what is priceless, the health and healing power of nature? As John Liu knows, seeing is believing. Working with nature to heal nature. Landscapes of hope. You can listen to a variety of Bioneers radio shows and view conference videos online at Bioneers.org, where you can also learn about attending the National Bioneers Conference or a local Bioneers Conference near you. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Nicole Spangenberg. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko Disc label. Additional music was made available by Jamie Sieber at J-A-M-I-S-I-E-B-E-R dot com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0112. This series is made possible by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.coop. And by Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. For more information, visit www.bioneers.org or call one 877 Bioneer.